in the Bible, we see God presented as perfectly holy and glorious. One among many examples is in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 6, where the prophet Isaiah is having a vision of God's throne. He sees these majestic angelic beings who are humbled before the Lord and cry out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We see a similar theme all the way in Revelation, chapter 4, as John envisions God's throne and sees other angelic beings who, as he says, day and night never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. But what about us? What about man? Mark chapter 7, verse 21 says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25 go on to say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man, but here's where it gets good. Those same verses go on to say, talking about man, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So God above, infinite and glorious, comes down as a man, born of a virgin, fully God, yet fully man, Jesus Christ lives and serves and teaches for about 30 years. And then is crucified to pay for the sins of you and me and all who would turn to him in faith and repentance. If that weren't amazing enough to consider, three days later, he rises and stands at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding on behalf of man, opening up direct access to the throne room of God. Like earthly fathers to their children, he speaks to us. He gives us his word in the Bible and invites us to speak to him in prayer promising that he hears us, knows us intimately, and loves us. It's when we consider all this, it's in light of all that, that we can begin to have a good conversation about prayer. So what is prayer? Simply put, prayer is talking to God. Simply put, prayer is talking to God. We didn't start the conversation, but a good and gracious God is calling us into it. This morning, as we consider prayer, we're going to go over four points, and along the way, I'm going to issue three challenges. So I hope you had your coffee this morning. Point number one, as we consider prayer, and I hope you've already begun to see and taste it, is this. Point number one, be excited about prayer. Be excited about prayer. In case this wasn't clear, there is a God above who knows you and loves you and invites you to speak to him. And in the mystery of his providence, things change. He listens. He changes hearts. He opens doors. He redirects paths. When we ask for a fish, he doesn't give us a snake. When we ask for bread, he doesn't give us a stone. Like any good earthly father, when we ask for cotton candy, he doesn't always give it to us. And sometimes, when it feels like we have the perfect plan, and we are crying out to God for him to answer, 
the Lord seemingly does not answer. Circumstances do not go our way. But we can rest assured, for those who are in Christ, there is a God above who delights in his redeemed children and desires to be in relationship with them, speaking to us in his word and allowing us to speak to him in prayer. So be excited. That's something to be excited about. Point number two, as we consider prayer, make it a priority. Point number two, make prayer a priority. I am tempted to tell you here, just wake up earlier and pray more. I'm not going to do that, not yet at least, because I think if we let ourselves only have the category of morning devotional prayers when it comes to thinking about prayer, we miss some of the point. Dave Mathis, on page 96 in Habits of Grace, put it this way. Because prayer is part and parcel of an ongoing relationship with God, the book of Acts doesn't accent the particular times and places of early church prayer, but tells us all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, Acts 1.14. And Paul charges the church not to specific prescribed habits, but to be constant in prayer, Romans 12.12, to continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4.2, to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, Ephesians 6.18. Prayer is first and foremost an orientation of life rather than the particular practices and patterns which might be characteristic of a certain community or season of life or season of church history. End quote. So as we've been discussing, for those who are in Christ, God has initiated a relationship with you. He calls you then to live in relationship with him to adore him in prayer, to confess to him in prayer, to joyfully thank him in prayer, and in reverence, to plead for his supplication in prayer. This can look different across various seasons of life, and this can take practices, take the form of different practices and habits. But, here's where I ask you to just wake up a little bit earlier in the morning. If you were to go to my parents' house in Georgia, and look at some of the pictures up on the wall of me from middle school, you would see that I used to be a pretty heavy-set guy. As you could say, I was pretty dangerous at the buffet. <laughs> still, still are. But not a fast runner. If you were to ask me at that time to run a six-minute mile, to run a mile in six minutes, I would probably tell you that's impossible. But, if you were to ask me at that time to run a mile in 10 minutes, I could probably do that. Fresh out of the buffet restaurant, if you asked me to run a mile in 20 minutes, I could probably do that too. So what's my point? Later on this morning, I'm going to encourage you to consider how you can consistently pray for others, and how you can possibly incorporate a more robust daily prayer habit. And just like you don't have to be an Olympic athlete to run a mile, you don't have to be a pastor to consistently pray for others. Sometimes you just got to give yourself a little bit more time, and sometimes that means you just got to wake up a little earlier, which I think leads well into the first challenge of the morning. Challenge number one, if you attend Grace Church for one month, four Sundays, 
make it a practice to attend the Grace Church pre-service prayer time at 10 a.m. I'll repeat that. Challenge number one for the morning. If you attend Grace Church for one month, four Sundays, make it a practice to attend the Grace Church pre-service prayer time at 10 a.m. As we are thrilled by the gospel and see in that the call to prioritize prayer, it is only natural that at the beginning of the week, right before the highlight of the week, the church service, where God's people will gather to sing his word, pray, fellowship, and hear God's word preach, that people would gather before to pray for that service. If you attend Grace Church, you have been given that opportunity every Sunday at 10 a.m., about 30 minutes before the service. Now, some of you may have very legitimate reasons why you cannot attend. Maybe you ride with someone else or you give someone else a ride. Maybe you have elderly parents that you have to care for in the morning. Or maybe you just have some other commitment that forces you to miss. But for many, it's just not a habit you've put in place. You just have to wake up a little earlier. I think you'll see the fruit, and I think God will be glorified. So we've discussed that we should be excited about prayer, that we should prioritize prayer, and now, number three, as we consider prayer, be confident. Point number three, be confident praying. There are two primary ways I want us to consider and how we can be confident praying. Firstly, pray the word. Did you know that you can pray God's words back to God? In considering how the Word of God relates to prayers to God, Mathis had this to say on page 94 of Habits of Grace. First, sounds God's voice. By His Word, He reveals Himself and expresses His heart and unveils His Son as the culmination of His speaking. By His Word, He creates and recreates, not just individual members, but a body called the church. And wonder of wonders, not only does He express Himself and bid us hear His voice, but he wants to hear ours. The speaking God not only has spoken, but he listens. He stops, he stoops, he wants to hear from you. Praying God's words, revealed words back to God is a sweet habit. So let's go through an example. Myself and a few guys here in this room are going through this uh, Navigator's Bible in a Year reading plan that we started earlier this month. So today is the 24th. So we have the assigned readings of Matthew 9, 27 through 38, Acts 14, uh, part of Psalms 22, and Genesis 49. So if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, please go ahead and turn to the assigned reading in Matthew for today, Matthew 9, 27 through 38. Matthew 9, 27 through 38. As a quick side note while you're flipping there, if you do not own a physical Bible and you would like one so that you could hold the Bible, look at it, mark it, highlight it, and you would like a Bible, every Sunday there are Bibles for free at the Grace Church Welcome Center. So please take advantage of that if you don't have your own Bible. All right, Matthew 9, 27 through 38. I'm going to go ahead and read that. Verse 27. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. 
When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one hears about it. But they went away and spread his fame all throughout that district, his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Friends, this little section of scripture is ripe for things that we can pray back to God. So look again at the text. Look at verse 27. You could pray something like, Glory to God, for you have mercy on us. Or look a little down, verse 30. Look at that text. You could pray something like, Praise God that you are able to heal. Go down a little bit more. Look at verse 36. You could pray something like, Lord, I confess, without you, I am like a sheep without a shepherd. And sheep are not that smart. Many times, Lord, I confess, I try to walk on my own and not under your protection. Or, verse 38. Look over at that text. You could pray something like, Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord of the harvest, that we can plant We can water, but it is you who brings the increase. Thank you for your sovereignty. Or one more from verse 38. You could pray, Lord, help me to pray earnestly to you. Help me to not grow weary, but strengthen me to depend on you and lean into the beautiful gift of prayer. Praying God's words back to God is a sweet habit. The second primary way I want us to consider in how we can be confident praying is have a plan. Have a plan. Spontaneous, irregular prayers have their place. I hope you're encouraged to pray in your car, while you're brushing your teeth, or when a friend tells you that they're struggling with something. Talk to God. He has invited you into relationship with Him. But there is no replacement for the robust, consistent, and steady time with God and His Word and response to him in prayer. And it is hard to do that without a plan. Donald Whitney quotes John Piper in his book on the spiritual disciplines when he says this, quote, Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons why so many of God's children don't have a significant prayer life is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't have a plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, You don't just get up one morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. 
But that is how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our life, but nothing's ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And we know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experiences in prayer. The opposite of planning is the rut. If you don't plan a vacation, you'll probably stay home and watch TV. The natural, unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it, end quote. So have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, that's all right, because I'm going to give you a plan right now. One helpful tool for prayer that has been used by many Christians for many, many years, and that I personally utilize just about every single morning, is the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. It stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. The idea is this. When you pray, start with adoration or praise and worship to God. You can adore him for his character, for his grace, for his power, for his mercy, for his words, We have no shortage of material to pray for. Start with adoring God for who he is. Give him praise and adoration. Next is the C, confession. This one's probably more clear for everyone in the room. Confess to God for your sin, for your selfishness, for your pride, for your lust. If you and I are honest, there is no shortage of material for this area of our prayers. Next is the T, thanksgiving. This is where we thank God. We adored God for who he is, and now we thank him for what he has done. We thank him for his grace and mercy and the trillions of other things we can thank him for. Finally, the S. Where many of us are prone to start, this is where we finish. Supplication is where we bring our request to God. But key here is that these requests are not just for ourselves, but for others as well. Here is where we ask God to care and love and lead those around us, and same for ourselves. Acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, praising God for who he is, confession, confessing to God for who we are, thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done, and supplication, bringing our requests to God. So what could this look like? I'm going to lean on Matthias here again, as his recommendation starting on page 103 in Habits of Grace have proved fruitful in my life since reading them. So what could this look like? Number one, find your spot. For me personally, when I am comfortable and sleepy, I have the willpower of a wet paper napkin. So my spot is an uncomfortable wooden chair in the kitchen. So find your spot. Number two, begin with the Bible. After a short prayer asking God to bless your time in his word, um, then dive into the Bible. Find something to meditate on from your reading and bring that back to God in prayer. So number three, pray acts. Relishing the opportunity to pray for some of what you meditated on in the word back to God, either in the form of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, or supplication. And then number four, adjust as needed and keep it fresh. You don't have to be married to a specific method. 
if it's not working. So I don't, I don't say all this to say that this is the perfect plan. In fact, later this morning, we'll get a chance to split up into smaller groups and discuss what has been effective for some of you. But I do mean to say, if you don't have a plan at all, or if your current method seems ineffective, consider changing it. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. So go fight. Before I leave this point, I want to issue challenge number two. But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had that friend that you're just like kind of close with? Like you know their name, you hang out here or there, maybe you see them at work, but you're not like all that tight. Have you ever then met that person's family, maybe their spouse, and they tell you, wow, it is so nice to finally meet you. We've heard so many good things about you. You're like, really? Cool. Thanks. One of the ways you know someone really cares about you is they talk about you behind your back. They think about you when you're not around. Well, for the members of Grace Church, you have been given a framework for talking about each other behind each other's back. But instead of to your family, it's to God. It's called the Grace Members Monthly Prayer Guide. It has the members of Grace Church spread out over a 31-day period so that over the course of a month, you have prayed for every member of Grace Church along with a prayer prompt each day. So for the members of Grace Church here in the room, that is challenge number two. For one month, the 31 days of July, utilize the prayer guide to pray for every member of your church. I'll say that again if you're taking notes. Challenge number two, for one month, the 31 days of July, utilize the prayer guide to pray for every member of your church. You want to demonstrate you care, like really care for the fellow members of your church? Pray for them. Talk about them to God when they are not around. That would be a great way to fill the supplication component of your prayers or a great way to end your day every night. So let's move on. Point number four. Point number four as we consider prayer, govern your posture. We've said be excited about prayer, make prayer a priority, be confident praying, and now number four, Govern your posture. Scripture has much to say, both directly and indirectly, regarding how we should posture our hearts and minds as we approach God in prayer. Far more could be said and taught than we have time for this Saturday morning, but in our final point, I want to give you three attitudes to embrace in your own prayers. So firstly, thankfulness. Thankfulness. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Also, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In your prayers, let this attitude permeate. If you find it hard to be thankful, take a fresh look at the gospel the glory of what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. 
There you will find a well of thankfulness that will not run out. The second attitude to embrace in our prayers is faith. Faith. It is hard to read much of the Bible's conversation about prayer and not also to see the call to couple faith with your prayers. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In James 1, 5 through 8, we hear, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, we hear Jesus again say, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. It's important to note here that the disciples Jesus was speaking to did not all end up healthy, wealthy, and wise, as some would take these verses to mean. In fact, most of the disciples Jesus is speaking to here were probably martyred. They were killed. So again, these verses do not mean if you just have enough faith, you can have whatever you want in life. But it is a clear call to trust in God and in his power to do what he wants to do. You can be confident in God's power to do as he wills. So persevere in your prayers and have faith in your good Father to answer as he wills. The third posture I believe we are called to embrace in our prayers is humility. Humility. Going back to where we began this morning, consider who you are getting to speak to as you pray. God, who created all things and sustains all things, is the recipient of your prayers. Be humbled as you consider your Savior and His glory in your prayers. Also, humility will inevitably lead you to consider others when you pray. As Tim Keller has said, humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. When we are humbled, the lens of our prayers will naturally widen. When the focus is not on us, we start to see others around us a little clearer. Which leads to the last challenge of the morning. Who are you praying for? Not like, who do you pray for occasionally? Who are you praying for consistently? Who are you praying for each and every day? Can I plead with you for a moment for that to be your pastors? Challenge number three, for the next 30 days, pray daily by name for your pastors. Challenge number three, for the next 30 days, pray daily by name for your pastors. There are a few things I really wanted you to walk away with this morning. One was, if you didn't already have a category for consistently praying for someone else, that you would begin to have one. For praying for the guy or two at church that you want to see grow. For praying for the person at work that you want to see come to know Christ. 
for praying for your spouse or family, and yes, for praying for your pastors. I hope that's near the very top of that list. The world would love to see another pastor fall into immorality, to see them ensnared in lust. So pray they would walk in purity and war against lust. The enemy would love to see another pastor engulfed in pride. So pray your pastors would walk in humility and be on guard against pride. We are all prone to discouragement, and this can be especially true for pastors. So pray that they would be encouraged, that they would press on and run the race well, that when their days here on this life are over, they would stand before their father who would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Who are you praying for? Friend, consider your pastors. Pray for them. We've covered a lot of ground this morning. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope and pray this has been a helpful time. I hope you see freshly how the gospel informs this whole conversation. We've discussed be excited about prayer. If you are a Christian in this room, you have the treasure of prayer available to you. You have the ear of your good, holy, merciful, sovereign Father. That is something to be excited about. We've discussed make prayer a priority. Lean in, commit. Don't pass up on opportunities for corporate prayer like the pre-service prayer time tomorrow at 10 a.m. Wake up a little earlier in the morning. Consider how you can consistently pray for others. And then we've discussed how you can be confident praying. How you can pray God's words in the Bible back to God. How you can add a little structure to your prayers, like the Acts model. And if how you're a member of Grace Church, part of that structure can be praying the monthly Grace Church prayer guide. How you can lovingly talk about each other behind each other's back. And we've discussed number four, that we should govern our posture when we approach God in prayer. That we should be marked by thankfulness, faith, and humility. And how part of walking in humility means we are regularly praying for others, one category of which is the pastors the Lord has given you.